Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcasts. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else, however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. How many of you are familiar with that song? Good, good. Well, if for those of you who don't know, that was Brad Paisley's song, Anything Like Me. It was supposed to be included on the 2009 album, American Saturday Night, but it was released the following year on his greatest hits album, Hits Alive. The song reached number one on the Billboard Hot Country Songs chart, which is kind of obvious. It's a good song. And number 48 on the Hot 100 in 2010. Well, it's Father's Day today. I think we all know it. And if you hadn't figured it out, this picture here is, is of me and my dad when I was in the third or fourth grade. It, it was, this was all good until, until we got up here in front of everybody. For most of my life, I was told that I looked like my dad. And looking at that picture you can see there, I went through quite a few pictures over the weekend. And the more pictures I looked at, I don't think my dad could have denied me if he tried. In, in one way to say it is, I'm a reflection of my father. You look at me and you see him. Well, the title of my message today is A Reflection of Your Father. Now, when I was growing up, I didn't really get to know my dad very well. He was a truck driver for a utility company, and, and I heard it so many times, he would get up every morning at 15 till 5, or he left the house at 15 till 5. Every now and then, I might be awake just enough to hear him going out the door and starting up his vehicle. And then he would get home late and usually was in bed by, by 8 p.m. So I didn't really ever get to see him in the sunlight unless it was on a Sunday. Well, my dad had a seventh grade education. He was always small for his age, and he never participated in sports. He grew up in a a farming community in East Texas in the 20s, and he had few prospects beyond the classroom. And in those days, back in the 20s, I don't think there are too many here that might remember those, uh, those times. But parents needed the kids to help them in the fields. So at the age of 12, Dad quit school and went to work with my parents. They were sharecroppers. They, they migrated around. And uh, so wherever they went, he went with them. Well, later on as a teenager, he was enlisted in FDR's Civilian Conservation Corps. 
Teenage boys went to work on government projects across the country in exchange for money and food for their parents back at home. Well, after Dad left the CC camps that he called them, he went to work for a construction company in Houston before being drafted into World War II. I discovered much later that after Dad returned from Europe, he was an emotional and a physical wreck. Like many men from that generation, he struggled with his experiences in combat and then with re-entering civilization. How do you, how do you share the things that you've experienced with people who, who have no idea what you're even talking about? He was in the 101st Airborne and saw his first action in the Battle of the Bulge. And after my dad passed, my family members told me how he would just sit at the table and cry when he tried to explain what happened to him when he was in Europe. And by the time my brother and sister came along, they're a little bit older than I am, he'd stopped talking about it altogether because it was just too much to, to, to talk about. He eventually started attending church and then became a Christian And that's when everything really changed. And I came along much later after my dad became a Christian, so I never really knew life any other way. Church was kind of the centerpiece of of our, our week as a family. Well, about the time that this picture was taken, I'd gotten interested in sports. My first sport was baseball. Dad drove a truck all day, and he would come home, and he would watch my baseball practices, my football practices, and he never missed a game. Even whenever we got into junior high, and they'd move the junior high football games around. They might be on a Tuesday. They might be on a Thursday. If, they, if, if something happened and it had to be delayed, we sometimes had a game on Wednesdays, and Dad was always there. There's one time in particular that I can think of that we, we were on the road, and we were in, a, in a, a pretty hostile environment. And my dad was the only one in the visitor stands. And whew, I was a pitcher. And, you know, as baseball goes, you run into your, your, your rough spots. And in those times, whenever it didn't, it didn't feel like I could hit the broad side of a barn, I'd look up and my dad would just shake his fist, hold tough, hang tough. And he'd shake his fist. And then somehow I found a way to, to get through whatever little struggle I had. He encouraged me and worked hard to make sure that I took advantage of all the opportunities that he didn't have and made sure that that I had the proper support that I could get through. Well, once when I was in high school, and I think I've told a few of this this story, I told my dad that I was going to be meeting with an Army recruiter at school. And the reason I was going to do it was because I got offered a free lunch. Those of you who I've helped with computer stuff, you know I'm willing to work for food. Food is is very near and dear to me. 
So I was telling my dad, I, I'm, I'm going to be meeting with an army recruiter tomorrow. You are? I said, yeah, I, I, he offered me a free lunch, and so I'm just going to hear what he has to say. Well, my dad, he didn't just stop me. He sat me down, and he explained to me what was going to happen in this, in this meeting. And so the next day, I tried to get out of this meeting, and this was at the high school, and so I, I thought if I skipped out, they'll just forget about me. Well, then they called me over the intercom. And so I had to go to the principal's office, and I sat across from the, from the recruiter, and he kept sliding that little piece of paper across the, the desk, and I kept sliding it right back. <laughs> well, I told that story to a friend of mine who was, who was a veteran, and he got really offended. He's like, well, what, why wouldn't you want to serve your country? Well, the, the issue was, you know, my dad was a veteran, but dad didn't want me to go to the service. He wanted me to go to college. And he didn't want me just to go to college. He wanted me to excel. One time, I, I, would, I missed a few classes because I was part of a play. And we stayed up late at night. And so I skipped a few classes that week because of the play. Well, somehow my dad found out about it. And I got a phone call. And he's asking me why I'm skipping class. And I told him, Dad, well, this is just for a short period of time. You know, we're good. We've, we've been getting in, in from, from practice like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, we're trying to get this play done. I don't care what time you get in bed. You be in class tomorrow morning. Well, I found out later, whenever I graduated in 1991, that I was the first in our family to graduate college with a four-year degree. Dad never told me, but I know he was proud. And that's why he didn't want me to go meet with a recruiter. That's why he didn't want me to, to skip class. He wanted to make sure that I got to experience being able to graduate from college. I think I've told just about everybody in this room about my theory in regard to raising kids. Uh, you, if you haven't heard it, I'll tell you anyway. Around 12 to 13 years old, kids lose their brains. <laughs> if you've got a teenager right now, I think you've, you, you're, you'd, you'd be agreeing with me. Hey, you're, you just happen to be looking at me, that's all. Well, they lose their brains, and they get them back around 25. So you've got a little, little while yet, Rachel. <laughs> you just happen to be the only teenager in the room. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's, she, Jessica just turned 24. So it, 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 it's, it's relative. It's, it's, I, I said around those ages. Well, that was definitely the case with me. And it manifested itself in my relationship with my dad. I don't know, I, mom might be able to tell you, I don't think I was much pro problem for her, but I was, I was a big problem with my dad. And, and when I looked at my dad, I, 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 I would think to myself, I have nothing in common with this man. The, uh, the whole idea of, 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 of the generation gap, you know, you've heard that. 
I looked at him, you know, he, he's, he's part of the builder generation, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a boomer or something. I don't know what I am. And, and so that there's, he, I was born when he was 47 years old. So my dad was quite a bit older than me whenever I was a teenager. And so I would look at him and I'd try to explain things to him and he didn't understand. And so I, how in the world can we have a relationship? We're, we're not even starting on the same page. And that was how I related to my father. Well, along about the time I turned 25, 24-ish, 25-ish, maybe 26. I wish he was here to ask. He could tell you. Once I got my brain back, I discovered that he and I had a, quite a bit in common. And then over the next 15 or so years... I learned more about him and from him as well as things about myself and discovered the kind of man that I wanted to be. Everything I learned from him in turn made me a better father and a husband, better husband, and it helped shape who I am today. When our children were born, Chris, Jessica's here with us today, and Anna, I had no idea what I was doing as a parent. But then again, who does? I wanted to be a good dad, and I had no idea how to be one. As I got to know my dad better, I noticed that things that he used to tell me started coming out of my mouth in the things I said to my kids. I see y'all shaking your heads. You've had that happen. And this was wise stuff. I didn't come up with it on my own. And it became part of my vocabulary. That good reflection that my my father had on me was also being reflected through me onto my kids. Well, in the book that we know of as the Proverbs of Solomon... The wise king spoke a lot about the influence a father has on his children. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, it says, The godly walk in integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. Notice that? Blessed are their children, not his children, but their children, meaning another generation. The definition of the word integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness, the state of being whole and undivided. Now there's so much in this definition. I I think if we could somehow be more honest and stick to our moral principles as individuals, how much better would our lives and our relationships be? Just to do those two things. And because of that effect, we would be whole, undivided people, and our families and our communities would be better because of it. Wouldn't you agree? Well, if there's anything wrong with our society today, it's manifested in the lack of integrity and morality in our 
human relationships and interactions. In my dad's day, and I heard him say this a lot of times, a man's word is his bond. Keep your word. And I've seen my dad almost kill himself, literally. Kill himself to make sure that he kept his word to someone. I remember one time, we were in Mississippi. We were six and a half, seven hours away from where where my parents lived at the time. And I... We, we were going to be moving some, uh, some furniture, and we were going to be moving. We had to move a, uh, a refrigerator. We were, we were moving out of a house. And we thought that we were going to be able to bring, bring this stuff back in one of those, uh, those open-top trailers that you could just pull behind a car. Well, it, it didn't work out. And so I just mentioned to my dad, like, yeah, we're, we're going to have to figure out some way to get, to get that, that, uh, that move to Texas, but don't, don't you worry about it. Well, before he hung up the phone, he said, no, I'll take care of it. And so, I, okay, well, um, we were going to be there another couple of days, so, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Didn't think anything more about it. About six and a half hours later, there was a knock on the door, and my dad was standing there in the doorway. So, all right, where is it? Let's, let, let's get it. And, and I, I, I was... I was dazed, and so, so we went over. He was in his pickup. We loaded up that refrigerator between the two of us, and he turned right back around, drove six and a half hours back home. He kept his word that he would take care of it. To my amazement. Well, consequently, in the absence of integrity, in that absence of morality, that void that, that's created... In our society, nobody can depend on anything. I mean, how many times have you bought something and you've got a warranty? And you try to get that warranty worked out. Well, it's, somehow it's not somebody else's problem. All of a sudden, it's yours. Well, you know, a warranty means that this, is, this will be taken care of. And, and this is where it, it just starts manifesting itself in little things like this. The existence of laws and rules don't guarantee that people will be moral. Morality is an issue of the heart. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 11, or in Psalm 11, the foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? I mean, everything's falling around us. It's panic. It's pandemonium. What can the righteous people do? Well, why are those foundations collapsing? It's because of the vacuum that was caused by the lack of character and morality in our society. In the words of Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for evil, the, the triumph of evil for is the only, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. That worked yesterday. <laughs> In times like these when the foundations are crumbling and everything is uncertain, it's no time to panic. Especially if we have a relationship with Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 1, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. 
And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to His Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's glory and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. And when He had cleansed us from past sins, He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave Him is greater than their names. And the the Apostle Peter echoed these words whenever he said in the book of Acts, Jesus is the one referred to in Scriptures, where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You see, Jesus is the hope that stands tall in the midst of destruction and chaos. And when all hell is breaking loose, He stands firm. And now more than ever, we who claim to know Him must point the way to Him and share the good news of the gospel. In the few days before Jesus was crucified, He told His disciples, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in Me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you will know the way to where I am going. No, we won't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you know Him and you have seen Him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and then we'll be satisfied. To that, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work that you've seen me do. You see, that's the essence of reflection. If you've seen Jesus, then you've seen what the Father's like. We've seen the work He's done in the lives of people around us, even in ourselves. And He wants that reflection to be seen in us 
and to radiate His glory to others. Well, hopefully, when you see me, you might get a glimpse of who my father was. Haynes Knox was a good man. And he wanted me to be a good man. And just the same, I hope my, my kids might somehow see everything that my dad lived out before me in his reflection through me. And even more, it's my hope that my life, that our lives, might reflect who Jesus is. Because if people see Jesus in us, they will see who the Father is too. And in the words of Jesus, if He's lifted up, the Father will draw all men to Himself. That's what we signed up for. And that's what we've been called to do. To be that reflection of who the Father is. So the world might know that He loves and that He cares and that He's all about us. Can we all stand together this morning?